0: of us is seeking something, and I think we're all seeking a better life. Really I feel like that's something that every single one of us seeks at some level or another. The decisions we make, the places we live, is all about seeking the good life, the better life. Many of you know that right after seminary, Melissa and I moved to a small town in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, and I was a pastor out there for five and a half years. We lived in Nebraska, and if you've ever driven through Nebraska, you've probably seen one of these signs. that says, Nebraska, the good life. Okay, that's their, kind of their motto. It's been around forever. There's bars named The Good Life there in Nebraska. Uh, they always talk about it. It's the good life. And for people there, they, they love it because in Nebraska, you can get a big house for way cheaper than you can get here in the city. Let me tell you what. You can get a lot of land. You can grow your own produce in your garden, okay? And it tastes way, way better than what we get at the grocery store here. You can do all that for a lot of people. That is the good life. The good life. But a few years ago, they actually adopted a brand new advertising slogan. And this is real. I'm not making this up. And this is their new slogan. Nebraska, honestly, it's not for everyone. (laughs) You think I'm making that up, but it's not. They're like, this is us. Like, we're going to be truthful. We love it. You probably don't. And that's okay. More room for us. Okay, that's what they're saying. Honestly, it's not for everyone. I I love that because they're like, hey, that's that's not it. Because some people look at that and they're like, oh, there's no way I'd ever want to live in Nebraska. And that's why you live here in Colorado with the mountains. It's beautiful here. Some of you are like, no, 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 I need to be by the coast. I need to be living by the ocean. We move a lot of times searching really for the good life. Whether you live on a farm or you live in the city or you live in the suburbs or in the mountains, we all are doing it for the good life. We move around. Sometimes we move jobs too for the same reason. We want to make more money, have more success. We want to climb the ladder or, or have our business grow because we're all trying to have a better life. We're seeking after that. We do it with relationships, too. That if I just find that right person, everything will be better. And then it's like, well, maybe if I find a better person, it'll be better, right? Some people are like, oh, it's, it's the friends I have could make my life better. Maybe it's the kids I have. And then once the kids get out of the house, then things will be better. We all have these things that we're seeking after in pursuit of that good life. But all those things let us down. Even if when you get the bigger house, you realize, oh my gosh, somebody has, has one even bigger than I do, huh? and I want that one. I moved to the place I want to live, but I'm not close enough to the mountains. i got to get closer. i got to get in the mountains. Now it's too cold. Now, now I'm going to move back out. Okay? We keep pursuing things, seeking the best life, and if we keep going after those things that we think will give us the good life, I'm telling you guys, you will be disappointed. But this is what we're going to learn today, and this is so important, and that's why it's so crucial for us, is that it's not by seeking those things for the better life. It's actually by seeking God that we can find the life we've always wanted. What God is going to tell us so clearly in our scripture today is that we seek God and live. You want the life. You want to avoid bad things and destruction and death. Seek God and live. He's the way to the life we've always wanted, even better than what you could have dreamed of. Seek God and live. That's our message today, and it's the second part of our vision series. We're in this vision series that started last week, and it's all centered around these three words, right? Seek the one. Seek the one. We, we unleash this as a kind of our new vision to seek the one. And it really has three components to this idea of seek the one, is that God first seeks us. We started there last week. If you missed last week's message, I do encourage you to go back and listen to it. At media, we have audio. We have video. We have transcripts. This is so important for our church. We want you to go back and listen to that. It's that important. Um, and you can subscribe. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on your podcast app. We don't want you to miss any of our messages, but last week's was important because we start there, that God sees us as individuals, and he seeks after us, the one. He seeks the one. And we we saw a parable that Jesus teaches us to demonstrate what our Father in heaven is like, what God is like. And it was like a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of them is lost. I want you to look at this verse in Matthew chapter 18, verse 12, which kind of summarizes this idea of how God seeks us. It says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? God is like that. He's like that one person who has sinned, who is lost, who is wandering, who's lonely, who's hurting. God will leave the 99 to go after the one. And that's so important. That's God's very heart for us. And that's the foundation for us. Before we seek the one, he, we have to remember he seeks us first. And the image I wanted to like leave in your mind's eye and just get seared in there forever is that idea that the shepherd, when he finally looks and seeks and finds that one lost sheep, that he picks up the sheep and puts the sheep on his shoulders and carries it home. Remember that? We talked about that. In Alice, who was here in the first service, she told me last week after the, the message, she's like, well, Matt, you know, because I had asked whoever here has like held a sheep on their shoulders. Like, and she's like, I have. I was like, Man. But that's because she was trained in zoology. She's done it, and she said they always squirm a little bit, but then you put them on your shoulders, and they just calm down and relax. That's what God does for us. He picks us up on his shoulders, even if we're fighting and struggling, and then he carries us home. So God seeks the one. He seeks the one. So we remember that first. And then we talk about the second component of seek the one, which means we seek him. We seek him. Now, do not get those reversed. If you think you seek God first, and then he comes and helps you, you've gotten Christianity all wrong. He's gotten completely backwards. He seeks us first, and therefore we seek him. And that's that vertical component of our faith, which we're going to focus on today in today's message. And then next week, we're going to focus on the third aspect, is that we go out then and seek others, the one in our life who is lost, who needs someone to go seek after them, look for them, love them, encourage them, and then pick them up on our shoulders and carry them home. That's what it takes to get people back home to God. We do that. So that's the idea of this vision, seek the one. So we're going to focus today on the second one, we seek him. What does it mean to seek God? And we're going to learn today from Amos, the prophet, as God speaks through the prophet Amos, that when we seek God, that's the way to life, seek God and live, seek God and live. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open with me to the book of Amos, and I'll give you some time because I know you don't know where Amos is. Go ahead and find Amos. There are some Bibles in the back uh, on the shelves. If you need a Bible, go ahead and take one of those. You can take it. It's our gift to you. Um, if you have your smartphone, you can use the UVersion Bible app. On the bottom right-hand corner, there's a, these three lines that say, More, click that, and then find our event, and you can see the scripture that we have for today and our points, and save your notes right there on your phone. We're going to be in Amos chapter 5, but I wanted to start at the beginning of Amos because some of you are like, Who's Amos? No, he did not make cookies. Amos... That's an old joke. Amos was a shepherd. And that's what we read in Amos chapter one, verse one. It says, the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa. So I think this is fascinating. He was a prophet. He spoke for God, but he didn't like grow up going to a religious school or whatever. He took care of sheep. And that's so interesting as we're talking about this idea of the shepherd seeking after the one. putting the sheep on his shoulders. I wonder if Amos knew exactly what it felt like to lift up a sheep on his shoulders. I think he did. So when he talks about seeking God, I think it's that same aspect of seeking after the one, looking and finding and going over hills, whatever it takes to get to God. So Amos knew what that was like. So then when we jump now into the middle of the book of Amos, in chapter 5, verse 4, We read our passage, and I really think that this verse is one of the most important verses in the Bible. It, like, summarizes what the Bible's about (laughs) and what we're supposed to do. It says, this is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Could God get any clearer? Like, if you had one verse that you had to know about the Bible, God's like, seek me and live. You want life? You want eternal life? Seek me and live. It's God himself speaking through this proverb. This is what I'm about, God says. And if you think that's clear, those four words in English, seek me and live, it's even clearer in the Hebrew. It's only two words because me comes at the end of the first word and and comes at the beginning of the second word. If you know anything about Hebrew, it's two words. God is like very clearly two words. I want you to understand what it's all about. Seek me and live. Pretty simple, right? So our big idea is really complicated from that. Seek God and live in case... You didn't catch that, okay? Very simple, right? I preach what the, what the Bible says, and that's what we do here. Whatever God says, I try to say, okay? Seek me and live. God's saying that. He's like, if you want life, you want the best life, seek me and live. If you want to avo- avoid destruction, if you want to avoid death, seek me and live. It's the best life now and the only life in eternity. Seek me and live. So what does it mean to seek God? Well, I'm glad you asked. So, we're talking about today. Seek me and live. Because some people are like, well, does that mean I need to go, like, look and try to find him? Is he somewhere? Well, actually, that is a good question because most people think that way, that I have to go somewhere to find God. But God very clearly says that's not how it's like. So look with me in verses 5 and 6. In verse 5, God continues. Do not seek Bethel. Do not seek Go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. Seek the Lord and live in verse 6, in case you forgot the main point. Seek the Lord and live. Or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. See, Israel was about to be destroyed by the Assyrian army. Like, they were on the doorstep of Israel. Bad things weren't going to happen. And God was like, hey, there's a way out of this. Seek me. And if you seek me, I will let you live and stay in the land. Or else you will all be destroyed. And definitely don't go to those places because those places are going to get destroyed. See, God is not found in those places. And that's important. I want you to to look at these cities because most of us have no clue about ancient um, Middle Eastern geography. But that first town that he talks about is Bethel. The word Bethel literally means house of God, Beth-el, the house of God. And it was a city in western Israel, and Bethel was probably the location where Jacob had his famous dream. Do you remember that? Jacob lays down with his head on a rock. He has this dream, this vision at night where angels are coming down and going up. Sometimes called Jacob's Ladder or Jacob's Staircase. These angels are coming down and going up. This incredible vision where God confirms that Jacob is still part of God's family line. And he has this vision, and it's so famous that Led Zeppelin wrote a a song about it, right? You guys know about it? And he's climbing the stairway to heaven. Okay, you guys got that? That's Bethel, okay? That's Bethel. And it's such a famous location, people went there. And in fact, one of the kings of Israel, who was a bad king, set up a shrine there, these golden calves where people would worship, and Bethel was one of those places. And they went there to worship God, not a cow. They went to worship God, but God had said, hey, don't worship like that. But I wonder if people went to Bethel. This is just kind of like my educated guess. Because that was a place where God had supernaturally shown up. And a lot of people seek after supernatural encounters. A lot of people go to church because they want a supernatural encounter. They go up on a mountaintop because they want a supernatural encounter. That's why people will meditate, and they will, you know, sit and and try to get into a trance to to have these supernatural encounters. That's why people will use Ouija boards and tarot cards because they're all trying to get these uh, supernatural moments and encounters. They'll go to certain locations. They'll they'll go. Some Christians will go because, oh, there's the big tent revival. Maybe God's showing up over there, and then they'll move over there. Maybe God's showing up over there. That's not where God is. That's not where God is. And we're going to talk about why in just a second. But, but I think if we're going after these supernatural encounters, we're not going after God. God is saying, seek me and live. It's not about this moment of what you're going to feel. He is supernatural. He does show up in crazy supernatural ways that we can't explain. But he's like, don't go after those things. Go after me. Seek me and live. So that's the first place he mentions, Bethel. And the second place he mentions is Gilgal. Now, Gilgal was right on the western side of the Jordan River. So when God's people were freed from Egypt as slaves, they wandered the wilderness for 40 years, and then finally Joshua, their great captain, led them across the Jordan River, and finally they entered into the Promised Land at Gilgal. And it was there at Gilgal, after they had God had parted the Jordan River and they walked across on dry ground, this great miracle Joshua was like, we got to remember this moment, how God showed up. So he took 12 stones, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and set up this monument to remember what God had done, that God had given them success. And it was right after that that they marched around the city of Jericho. Those walls came crumbling down, and they started taking over the promised land that God had told them about. This is the start of that success that God gave his people. And I wonder if people went there to Gilgal with this monument of the 12 stones because they could say, ah, oh, this is where we could have our success. Doesn't everybody want success? And they go back to the, to the place where other people had success. That's what people do. They, they want to go, they hear, this person is a self-made millionaire. I want to learn from that person. They're successful. I want to learn from them. you read rich dad, poor dad, because you want to be the rich dad, not the poor dad, right? we got to learn from the people who have had success in the past. Everybody wants that success. And I wonder if God mentions the name Gilgal here is because a lot of people try to do that. They're chasing after success. And God is saying, hey, it's not in success that you're going to find the life you're looking for. Quit chasing after success. Seek me and live. Not that success. The third location that God mentions is Beersheba. Beersheba was in the south. And this location is tied to Abraham. Abraham. It's one of the famous locations that Abraham was at. Abraham, of course, is the father of our faith. He's the father. He's the first man that God called and chose him, and through him he was going to bless the world. So God chose Abraham, and it's not just Christians. Jews trace their lineage back to Abraham, and so do Muslims. Okay, This is like the founder of so much faith in our world, and a lot of people look back to Abraham and they say, I want to get where he was. I want to get tied back to the past, and I think this is... Looking after association. Because we think if we can get, get around the right people, and there's a lot of people, even into Jesus' day, who were like, Because I'm part of the family of Abraham, I'm good with God. Because they were part of the family. Because their parents were believers. Because their grandma was a believer. Because they lived in the area with other people who were blessed by God. And there are people today, the same way, who think, Oh, my parents took me to church, my grandma's Christian, so I'm a Christian, right? Or or they'll say things like, well, you know, I'm I'm a Christian because, you know, I've, I've been to church a few times, or because I'm in a Christian nation. There's less and less people every year who say that about our country. But there are people who think they're a Christian because they were born in America. And that association is not true. It's not true at all. You only have a relationship with God if you have a relationship with God. It's not because you're associated with someone who has a relationship with God. So if those people are thinking, oh, because I have that association, because I'm part of that, then I'm good. Like, no, God's saying, don't seek that. Seek me and live. Seek me and live. I I wonder if God uses those three locations on purpose because all those are like great moments in the Bible, aren't they? These are great moments where God truly showed up. Miracles happened. Visions were there. God did big things, but God's like, hey, that's not where you're supposed to go. And it's interesting because at this time in history, God had actually told his people where to go. There was a location where they were supposed to go. Does anybody know where that was? Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the temple had been built on the Temple Mount. And God said, hey, for a time, I will live in one location in this temple. And this is where you can come and my presence can be found. Seek me there. Very clearly, one location, go there. And yet, where was everybody else going? Everywhere but Jerusalem. I think that's the point of this passage. God's like, I told you clearly where I am. You're going everywhere else. He's like, seek me and live. Don't seek after the past. Don't seek after success. Don't, don't seek after the association with other people who have had success. Don't seek after those supernatural moments. Seek me and live. And I am found in my temple. So, where do we as Christians supposed to go? Because if you don't know this, but the temple got destroyed in 70 AD, never to be rebuilt again. It doesn't exist anymore. Where are we supposed to go? We got even better news. We got even better news because we don't seek a place. We seek a person. See, Jesus, when he came, he's like, there was actually a debate in those days. The Jews thought you had to go to the temple. The Samaritans thought you had to go to this mountain over here where Moses was. And they debated over where to worship God. And Jesus is like, hey, a time is coming and has now come when my people will worship me in spirit and in truth. Meaning it doesn't matter where you are, you seek me, Jesus is saying, and live. If you seek Jesus, it doesn't matter where you are. Jesus even said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. We don't even have to go to a cathedral or a church. That's why we can worship in an old hangar. A location doesn't matter. We can worship God anywhere. And where God's people come together, that's where a church is. It's pretty cool that we have this hangar, though, right? That we can worship here. But we don't need it. If we weren't in this hangar, we could still worship him. When we were in the backyard in 2020, we could worship God outside. We don't even need to be in the building. doesn't need to be blessed by a priest. We don't need any of that. Because God is where we seek him. Jesus and his spirit live inside of us. Paul made this very clear when he taught in Acts chapter 17. He's like, in case you guys didn't know this, he says, God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made with human hands. He is the one who gives life, breath, and everything else. I want you to stop for a moment and take a really big, deep breath in. Now let it out. God is in that breath. He's in that breath right now. And if you have breath in your lungs, God is with you. If you ever forget that God is with you, just take a breath in and remember, he's with you. He's with you. Paul goes on in verse 27 in this passage. He says, God made the nations so they would seek him, perhaps even reach out to him and find him. In fact, God isn't far away from any of us. He's right next to us. Anyone can reach out and find him. You don't have to go to a location. You don't have to be around a certain type of people. You don't have to go to the revival. You don't have to go to that mountaintop. God is right there with you, no matter where you are. You're watching online. God is with you. If you're listening to my voice and you're on a jog, God is with you. Wherever you are, reach out and find him. That's why God says, seek me and live. Don't go look those other places. Seek me. And he makes it clear, find him in his son, Jesus Christ, and his spirit who's with you. So how do we seek God? How do we seek God? I want to give you guys two applications for this message so we can learn as individuals and as a church how we can seek God. And it's very simple. One, seek God first. Okay, Seek God first. If you want to seek God, you've got to seek God first. And he tells us this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he said, Seek first, in case you were wondering where I got that application, Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met as well. In that passage, Jesus is like, you're worried about your clothes, you're worried about the food you're going to eat. He's like, don't worry about all that stuff. Seek God, and God will take care of all that other stuff. He's not going to make your life perfect. You're still going to have hard things. You won't be super rich and have a gigantic house. That's not what God promises. But what Jesus says, if you seek him first, he'll take care of all those other needs of yours. You don't even have to worry about them. That's incredible. Seek God first. Put him first. And I think that this means we need to seek God the first of our week and the first of our days. Might mean a whole bunch of more things, but at least it means that. This is what the early church recognized. See, the early church used to worship at the end of the week on Saturday. I don't know if you guys knew this. But then very quickly... Once Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, on Sunday, they started worshiping on that day too. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. That was the day. And this is interesting because they didn't get Sundays off. We get Sundays off, a lot of us. They didn't. They would wake up before work so they could all get together, before the sun rose, and worship God together. They're going to start their week worshiping God, seeking Him first. So I think that's important for us to remember. Because a lot of us in our weeks... We're like, yeah, I'll go to church when the weather's not too good because I want to go on a hike when it's good. And if it's not too bad because if it's snowing too bad, I'm just going to stay home. And I'll I'll worship God when the Broncos aren't playing and my kids don't have an activity. And I got a good night's sleep, which is rare, okay? And now you put all those things together and you're like, man, I I guess every once in a while I'll I'll worship God. But that's not seeking God first. I'm not saying it's like every once in a while you have something come up or an off date. But if that's happening regularly, you're not seeking God first. Let's be honest. Seek God first. Seek God first. And um, and I think that's the first of your week, the first of your day as well. We'll talk about that. But the first of the week, what's really fascinating is now sociologists and psychologists are studying this. And what they are finding is that when you do worship regularly, like this is a regular part of your life, more often than not, okay, even just the majority, that your life actually improves in a lot of different ways. This is kind of interesting. This is from, um, the the first section is from a Harvard study. They tracked these women, this group of women, for 20 years to see what happened. And there was a group of them that worshipped regularly, weekly, and there was a group that didn't. And what they found is the group that worshipped regularly were one-third less likely to die in that 20-year period. Some of it was practical, the regular worshipers were less likely to smoke, less likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, but they also found some weird things. It boosts your immune system. It lowers your blood pressure and cholesterol to worship weekly. Um, and it changes your lives too. You're less likely to commit violent crimes. Kids, students, case, yes, parents, this applies to your kids as well. They will have higher GPAs on average. They will be less likely to live in poverty. And everyone who worships weekly finds more meaning in their life, less loneliness, a bigger social network. And those people get changed by worshiping weekly. They're more generous with their money. They're more likely to volunteer their time. They have stronger marriages, better sex, less mental illness. They are happier, and they can find sustained happiness even through difficult times in their lives. A Harvard epidemiologist looked at all this data, and this is, these are his words. He says... Religion may be a miracle drug. That's what he said. Your doctor didn't prescribe it, but God did, okay? So when we seek him first, it's almost like seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all that other stuff's gonna get taken care of as well. Didn't Jesus say that? It's like maybe he knew what he was talking about. You don't seek that other stuff, you seek God and live. See God and live. That's why I say first of your week. I'd say first of your day, too. What's the first thing that you're starting your day with? If you you start your day off with the news, well, guess what? The news makes money by scaring you and making you worried. So how are you going to feel the rest of the day? Afraid and worried if you're reading the news first. Maybe the first thing you look at is social media, and you're seeing everybody else's great vacations and them getting the promotions at work. You're going to feel bad about yourself the rest of the day. Isn't that just how it goes? I don't know what that first thing is that you're doing with your day, but what if you sought God first? And I'm honest, I've told you guys this before, the first thing I do when I wake up is I grab my phone. But you know what I do? I open up my Bible app and I read my scripture. It's the first thing I do every day. Before I let anyone say anything and change my mood and make me in a bad mood and angry or fearful or whatever, I want God to speak to me first. And I think if you do that, you'll be amazed at how it changes the rest of your life. Seek God and live. Seek God and live. So that's the first thing. Seek God first. The second application is similar. Seek God foremost. Not only should it be the first thing you seek, but He should also be the most important thing you seek. And you should seek Him with the foremost amount of your energy and your passion and your life. Foremost. In Jeremiah 29 13, God says, You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. That's a great promise. If you seek God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart, meaning everything. Jesus would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's everything you have. So seek him foremost. He should be the most important thing in your life. And the way that you can tell if you're worshiping God and seeking him foremost is by thinking about the things that are most important to you. Think about how passionate, how energetic, and excited you are about things in your life. If it's sports, what you'll do when your team the Broncos finally score a touchdown. You'll go, yeah! You'll jump up and down, pump your fists in the air. If you're at the game, you will yell and scream, right? You're passionate about it. You're excited. And that's okay. You can be excited about sports. But do you show that same passion and excitement as you see God? Maybe it's not sports for you. Maybe it's your favorite musician or band. When you finally get tickets to see Taylor Swift, do you scream like a schoolgirl? Okay? Sing along to every word, okay? Do you see God with that same energy and passion? Maybe it's not music, maybe not sports, maybe it's a hobby for you. Do you spend all your money on some hobby that everybody else is like, why are you wasting your money on that, but you never have enough gear, you never have enough stuff? Do you see God that way? Maybe... It's like the, the latest Marvel movie. You, you will stay out in line, sleep in a sleeping bag in the freezing cold, dress up in a funny costume just so you could be the first one to see the new Marvel movie because you love it, right? We all have different passions. I'm not saying any of those are bad, but I'm just saying how does that compare to the way you seek God? Do you seek him with that passion, with that energy, with that love? Seek God foremost. He should at least be equal to the way that you respond to those things. And I say this, we, we tell people to worship Jesus authentically here. Because some people, like this is as much as they're ever gonna give at a game. They won't open their mouth, they won't yell, they won't cry out or sing, that's fine. That's how you should worship Jesus, at least that much, right? But if you're jumping up in the air, and I saw a video of someone in our church when their team won the Super Bowl, they jumped up, yeah, punched the ceiling, blood was running everywhere, and they were still dancing around, they didn't care. You know who you are if you're watching. Do we worship Jesus, that same level of passion and energy, okay? At least the same level, if not more. That's how we seek God first. And if you're like, well, I don't know, especially when I come together, like I'm worried about what people will think about me. Do you care when you're at the game? No, you like paint your face. You got a letter written on your chest. You're jumping around. You want people to look at how crazy you are. Do we see God that same way? So I'm saying authentic to you. The way you're most passionate, that's how we should be most passionate as we worship together. That's one of our values here, core values, passionate worship. We worship Jesus authentically to glorify God and captivate the unchurched. That's what we do here. So are you seeking God first and foremost? I want us to be a church that does that. So when we see seek the one and when we come in here in person or online, let's seek the one together. We'll go out there during the week and do the same thing. Put him first. Seek him first above all those other things, and then we'll live. But when we come together, let's for sure do it. Let's start our weeks out right. Seek him first. Seek him foremost. Seek God and live. Seek God and live. Now, if we continue to do this, if if we live out our vision, I think God will continue to do big things in our midst. And that's why I wanted to unveil to you guys as, as a church some of the cool things that we are planning for our future, and we talked about it last week at our vision lunch, but I wanted to share with all of you guys who weren't there and this is because, yes, we are a growing church, and because of that we're looking to the head and re- uh, looking ahead and realizing, hey, we're going to have to do stuff, if we want to continue to reach more people, seek the one so that they can seek the one, right we're going to have to do some things. So I wanted um, actually, before I did that, I-, I did have to tell you guys, I was real nervous last week to kind of unveil this to our Um, church and uh, you know a little bit nervous to to avail it to you guys as well because the last time we went through this whole visioning process and wrote a strategy and a plan and all those things was january of 2020 yeah it was a great plan you should see it okay it was beautiful and then we all know what happened in march of 2020 okay nobody even saw this vision document we put together strategy got thrown out the window everything changed so I do remember this, and we have learned this. We have learned Proverbs 19, 21 very well here as a church. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Amen? Okay, we all learn that in the pandemic. None of our plans happen. So I'm saying that because we're making plans again. We have to. We have to look to the future. That's what le- we have to do with leadership. But we now plan in pencil. That's literally in our elder board job description. We plan in pencil. So I'm telling you guys what our plans are but I want you to know it's in pencil, okay? It's in pencil, and we have to do that now. So um, looking ahead, I want you to see some of these um, charts that kind of show our in-person attendance. Is, um, you can see this is back from August of 2020 when we were starting to meet outside. And if you're like, oh, I don't remember doing that, yeah, none of you were here, okay? <laughs> I was outside with a mask on for months in the stinking hot, and then it was snowing in October, and we were still outside, because the city of Denver wouldn't let us back in. But we were worshiping together, and there was very few people here. But you can see there's some very low numbers. That's when we had a snow day or an online-only day. Um, But then we have some very high days for Easter and for Christmas. But you can see there's a clear trend lined up, right? You guys see that with in-person attendance? And what's interesting is that these trends really kind of match some of our growth that we were seeing pre-pandemic. Okay, So we're we're now seeing some of these growth trends happen again. And I want you to see this next chart um, that shows our in-person attendance. Now, this goes back to 2018, so you can see where it grew, and you can see now on this next slide where the COVID shutdown happened, right? (whistles) Okay, what happened to our in-person attendance? But then it went up, and these last four data points are actually projections. Based on the patterns we saw pre-COVID, we're combining that with some of the patterns we've been seeing recently, so we can guess. We can't guess perfectly. There's no way we'll get it right, but we have to do our best to project out to the future. And I'm saying that because our projections show us that sometime next year, we are going to outgrow two in-person services. Like, we're just going to have too many people in in this place. And and that's good. We love it. We're excited about that. I don't know when that's going to happen. God willing, that'll happen. We won't have monkeypox coming through here or something crazy. But... If God continues to bless us and people come to Christ and, and we see more people come in person, that our projections show that. So I, I'm saying that because we need to figure out how to maximize our space. Now, pre-COVID, we actually had a third service time. And, and we did it, and it helped us grow, and, and we were able to reach some more people. But what we found, it was really hard on our staff. And what we found is we had to recruit 50% more volunteers, <laughs> which was sometimes even harder than the staff because like, we're like, oh, we get paid, we'll work hard. Um, but what we found is we want to actually delay as much as we can having to launch that third service. We want to focus on these two services to make them as good as possible. And what that means is, A, if that's going to happen next year, we've got to do something about it. But, so we want to maximize our space. We have this hangar that God has given us. We own this outright. That's incredible, guys. God has given us the gift of this hangar, this space. But we've got to figure out how to maximize it to reach as many people in person as we can In this space so the maximize project is going to have three different parts to it and the first one is to maximize our space pretty simple right meaning if you look back up here we can add a balcony up there you can even see the outline of where the balcony was when they first opened up this building but they didn't need the balcony so closed it off okay so we need to open that balcony up and we can add 49 more seats according to fire code we can add a few more, but it would cost an arm and a leg more, so we have figured out per seat it's not worth it to go up to 78, okay? So we can add 49 more seats. That will maximize our space to the best of our ability here. We will also add another classroom, which we need. That's what we're always fighting here. Do we add more seating or do we need the classroom? Because we're going to need another classroom, because we got even more kids coming in person. So this project would open up another classroom upstairs for us for future use, so we can move into that when we need it. So that's the first aspect of our Maximize project, maximize our space. The second one is to maximize our environments. What we mean by this is making the space we do have better. This place was painted and remodeled in 2011, and it hasn't really been updated since then. Okay, little tweaks here and there, but we need some work, especially in our kids' classrooms. We love our next generation, we wanna invest in them, and we need our kids' classrooms to be updated, to look better and to be used better for their space. This also includes some better internal signage, um, and some paint and you know, updating a few things in our cafe. There's a whole bunch of little things that we're saying that we want to maximize our environment so that they are better for the mission we are called to. That's the second aspect of our project. The third aspect is to maximize our online presence. Our online continues to grow and there's a lot of people that join us online when they can't come in person. So we want to update our AV technology for clarity and for brightness. That's the main thing because we know so many people are joining us online. There will be a little bit of the update that you guys will experience here in person, but it will really impact the people online. And we say, hey, we've got to maximize this space, and that includes our online space. So there's three aspects of this project that we want to pull off, and we believe that God is putting on our hearts, leading us to do it now. It might not seem to make sense with our economy, but we're taking a step of faith and saying we want to be ready so we don't have to turn people away. We want to be ready so that this will delay probably at least by a year the need for a third service time. We're willing to do it, but we want to have to do it. So this is what we're saying for our space. We, we've got to do those three things. And here's the price tag, in case you were wondering. 60000 to maximize our space. Physically, 70000 to maximize our environments. And 50000 to maximize our online presence. And that brings us to a total of $180,000. Now, I'm not asking any of you guys to give towards this today. Although if you want to, it's already up, up for the building project. What I am asking every single one of you to prayerfully consider how God is laying on your heart to contribute to this project. It might be to give and to give substantially because this is above and beyond our regular giving in order to make this project get pulled off and continue to grow into the future and reach more people for Christ. That's what we're going to have to do. But some of you might be like, I don't have very much money or I'm struggling right now. Well, we could use your help with painting, with helping the contractor. We've talked with our contractor about having some volunteers come so that we can save some there. So there's a lot of different ways that every single one of us can contribute. And I believe God is calling every single one of us to contribute to that project. So start prayerfully considering it now. In a couple weeks, we'll actually talk about, well, what does that mean for us? But just pray about it right now. Talk with your spouse. We are going to say, too, we know that the economy right now is looking shaky. Some of you guys are nervous we are opening up the possibility of of giving now with non-cash giving to our church. So if you have stocks, bonds, that kind of stuff, sometimes that's a very good way to give in a year where you don't have a ton of cash to give. So we wanna open up that way too because you may wanna give in that way as well. We're even working on crypto. So if you guys are crypto millionaires, we'll take it. Okay, We'll take any gift you have. So would you prayerfully consider how you might contribute to that mission? And we believe that's what it's going to take if we truly want to see the vision God has given us, a reality. And our vision, in one sentence, and our goal is a thousand strong who seek the one. We want to see a thousand men, women, teenagers. Yes, because I spoke at Turbulence on Wednesday night, and even our teenagers are involved in this vision. We want to see a thousand people who are taking the commitment to say, God sought me, so I will seek the one, and I will go out and seek the one in my life who is lost and far from God, and I will do whatever I can to love them and bring them back to God. So we're looking for a 1,000 people who commit to that, and it's gonna take years for us to get a 1,000. I don't know how long it's gonna take, but we are committed to this. This is our vision for the future, and I hope that you guys will wanna join us on this vision, a 1,000 strong who seek the one. If you guys are here in person, or maybe we can even get our online camera here, you'll see that we have cards for all of the people who committed to this last week. We had almost 140 people commit to being part of this vision to seek the one in their life. And we ask people to write down one name of a person that they're seeking after so we can pray for that person. We're not going to release that person's name. It's going to be confidential. But We want to pray with you for that one person that God has put on your heart to seek after. So whether you're online or in person, I want you to take a moment to take that commitment. If you reach under your seat right now, there should be one of those Seek the One cards and a pen. If you're willing to join us in this vision and you say, hey, I want to be part of that 1,000, Write your name down there, write your email address. This is just so we can email you and encourage you on this and share stories about how God is moving in the ones we're seeking. Even last Sunday, as I uh, preached about this vision, there was somebody who got a text from their one and I shared that story in the email list. Some of you guys got that this week about how God is already working through this vision. But I want you to take a moment right now to fill out that card and when you do it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to, after I pray, I want you to come up here, take that card and there's magnets in these baskets up here. And I want you to put the card right here on the front so we can all see that. And if you're online, you can use this QR code or risedenver.com slash seek the one, fill out that card online. We would love to see a thousand strong who seek the one. Let's pray together. Lord God, I'm just excited about what you're doing in our midst. This vision that you've given us to seek the one. We, we pray for these lives these almost 140 men, women, and children that we're seeking after because we want them to know you. They are like that sheep that's wandered astray and we want to seek after them like you seek after them, to put them on our shoulders and carry them home, Lord. Help us join this vision so that we can see a, a church filled with so many people that are on your mission with you, God. Make us that kind of church and make us the kind of church that seeks you passionately with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now with eyes closed, I wanna tell you that God sought you first. He sent Jesus to seek after you and die on the cross to pay for your sins. And if you just believe in him, you can have that best life now and the only way to eternal life later. I'm saying that because some of you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and savior today. And I wanna give you the opportunity to do that through a simple prayer. So what I'm saying is repeat this prayer after me. If you're already a Christian, say it out loud. So somebody else will pray it with boldness for the first time. So please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me. Forgive me. In faith I declare, Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me to follow you and find the best life. Now with eyes still closed, if you said that prayer for the first time, and Jesus today for the first time is your Lord and Savior, you're following him, we wanna celebrate with you. So would you slip your hand into the air on the count of three? One, two, three. Put that hand high in the air so we can celebrate with you if you made that decision today. Praise God, let's celebrate, praise God. Praise God, you can put that hand down. Lord God, we are grateful that you're working in people's hearts, that you're drawing people back to you, that you seek us through your Son. And because of that, Lord, we worship you. We seek you with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. We come to you and passionately, authentically come after you, Lord. Stir our hearts that we can worship you with the glory you deserve. I pray this in Jesus' name.